Hello again. I don't know if I told you my name is Mark, one of the pastors here. I said that. My name is still Mark, still one of the pastors here at Stonebrook. Um, so what we've been doing the past few weeks, uh, we interrupted it with the baby dedication. We had dedicated like 87 babies last week. I don't know what was up with that. But um, we are talking on the subject of Jesus Church. And the basic premise is to take a look through uh, various things that Jesus said, but especially some of the of his earliest disciples when they started this thing that Jesus called church. It's actually, that, that word church, it's come to mean such a, a strange thing in this, in this uh, modern era. But the word church to Jesus simply was a word, it's a Greek word, ekklesia, which means a gathering. A group of people that get together with a common purpose. And what, is, what, is, what, was, what did Jesus have in mind when he, when he said, I want you guys to take this message of who I am and I want you to spread it everywhere that you, can, you possibly can. And he said, the way that I want you to do that is in communities all over the world, I want different people that are my followers, I want you to gather together. And as you gather together, people are going to be attracted to that, and they're going to hang out with you and learn who I am. That's sort of the, the mechanism. But what did Jesus want that gathering to look like? And how did he want, how did he want that to work? So we're looking at some things that the uh, earliest church did to, to see where are we deficient. As a church, where are we missing it? Where could we improve? How could we get better? So that's what we've been doing the last few weeks. If you miss some of the messages, you can always go to stonebrook.tv and you can check out the messages there. If you uh, have a question about what we're talking about at any time, anonymously, you can text a question. I'm going to try to get to it. I didn't in the, in the first service, and I may not the second service, but I'm going to try. There was a question that someone sent in concerning church, and I'm going to do my best to answer at the end. But if you have a question, you can text it anytime to um, uh, SBROCKS, 415SBROCKS, and we'll do our best to get to it. So um, Jesus made this statement. He was, he was gathered around with his disciples, and I don't know if he was sitting around a campfire, if he was walking down the road, if they were having a meeting in the conference room. I don't know how it happened. But Jesus had a, a group of his disciples, and he said to them, okay, guys, um, what's the word on the street? This is toward the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus has been walking around uh, Galilee and Judea in first century Israel, and he's been talking to thousands. He's been drawing thousands and thousands of crowd, uh, people in crowds. He's been talking. He's been healing. He's been doing all these things. So Jesus says, hey, uh, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? Who do people think that I am? And so his disciples said, well, some people say you're Elijah, some people say you're Jeremiah, some people say you're one of the prophets that's raised from the dead. So the basic bottom line, when you bottom line all that, is after three and a half years of ministry, of being out there, doing the things that Jesus did, people still did not have an accurate understanding of who Jesus was. And we believe that's the case in modern day America now, that people have a misunderstanding of who God is and who Jesus was, what his purpose was. They have a very religious idea. God is sort of this person that you go to a building once a week and you sort of put in your time, you listen to a boring message, you get a star by your name, and maybe when you get to heaven, you'll get one of the better houses. I don't know. People have some strange ideas about who God is. But Jesus said, okay, who do you say I am? And Peter said, now, you know, we believe you're, you're the one that is sent to save us. We believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus said on that rock, he said it this way, I say unto you, you're Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, what rock? 
Upon the foundation, when he says rock, that's what he means foundation. If he'd have been talking today, he wouldn't have said rock. He would have probably said, on this huge slab of concrete, on this foundation, I'm going to build these gatherings. The, the foundation that he's talking about is who he really is. We want people, when we gather as a church, we want people to have their thoughts changed, have their heart changed, have their minds changed about who Jesus really is and how he acts toward them. And I talked about this a little bit in the, in the first service. Um, I, I posted something on Facebook last night. I don't know if you're friends with me on Facebook. You're welcome to friend me anytime you want. I'll probably accept you unless you're weird or something. I don't know. I will. Even if you're weird. Uh, why I said that. Huh? That's true. Megan, you're weird, so I accepted you. That's true. There's a great example. But um, if you watch my post, you'll see that I'm extremely weird. But I, I put this post on Facebook. Did you read my post on Facebook last night? Oh. Here, but here it is. And um, it's, it's actually something that I, I was raised in church my entire life. I'm telling you, I was there all the time. You have no earthly idea how much I was at church. That was back, we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But my parents were the, we went there, we were the first, we cleaned the church, we were there at the end. We, and in our church, for some reason, like every three months you had to have at least a week-long revival, whether you needed one or not. If you don't know what a revival is, that's where you go to church every night then during the week. So you had this week-long revival thing. And I was 20 years old before I ever took a vacation that did not involve a church. My, every time my family went on vacation, we went to Colorado, it was church camp. Then you had morning, afternoon, and night for vacation. You're like, bomb, dead, what's wrong with you people? So, but I went to church all that time, constantly in church. I never heard the three words that I posted last night. I posted this picture with three little words that to me is one of the things. See, when, when, when Jesus came to the earth, his, the way he uh, react, talk to people, the way he interacted with people, the things that he shared was revolutionary because the people thought there was already a religious system in place. There was already a temple. You went to the temple. You burned incense. You did all kinds of really crazy things that had nothing in the world to do with your life. And then you went home and you lived separately, but you had a certain day and a certain place where you went and you worshiped God. And Jesus came and he didn't go to the temple. He went to parties he went and hung out outside in the park where people were. It drove the religious people crazy, absolutely nuts. He hung out with the wrong kind of people. He hung out with everyday folks, talked about everyday things. He, just, he hung out at places that the religious people, the preachers of the day, wouldn't go anywhere near. And he was trying to communicate, I believe, three little words that, uh, that I posted last night on Facebook. But I had never heard these words. And that's, see, I, I believe we need to be a church that shares the same thoughts that Jesus had. Did this revolutionary message that Jesus had. But I'd never heard these words, and I want to take a poll of you guys that have been raised in church. And I simply posted last night, God likes you. Now, how many of you were raised in church? Let me see your hand. My condolences. No. <laughs> how many of you that have been raised in church? Because I never heard anybody say that. Now, we, they said God loves you. We sang, Jesus loved me, this I know for... You guys sing worse than the first service. It's just awful. But um, we heard Jesus loves you all the time. Oh, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Then when you did something wrong, you felt like he hated you all of a sudden. But this, this idea that, you know, if, if Jesus showed up in town or if God, because we had, you know, I had a picture of God 
as really old. For some reason, he wore a skirt. He has this long dress. He sits on a throne, and he's sort of angry all the time. He wouldn't be laughing. You know, if I told one of my corny jokes, God wouldn't laugh. He wouldn't roll his eyes. Nothing. He, oh, you guys have been creeping on my Facebook. God likes you. But um, I, I, I never heard that in church. They said God loved me, but I never had the idea. I still struggle with it today. I still struggle with it. That the fact that I know I tell everybody else this. I know I tell everybody that no matter where they are, what they're doing, what their situation is in life, God really thinks you're cool. God really would love to just hang out with you. God thinks you're okay just to where you are. He's just nuts about you. He watches you all the time. He thinks what you're doing is amazing. Now, there, are there things you're doing that he probably doesn't like? I think with all of us there are, pastors included. But he really digs you. So let me ask you a question. Those of you that were, that were raised in church, how many of you never heard? You never heard somebody say, God likes you. That's amazing. But anyway, Jesus came along, and so he's changing the way that people think. And I, I think that's the way that God wants his church to be, a place where people's thoughts and hearts and ideas about who God is are revolutionized and changed. Little by little, you may not even believe it yet. I think we have people that come to Stonebrook, you've been coming for a while, and you're still not sure if you buy this whole God thing or not, but at least the idea you had about God before is changing, is turning, is being formed. And um, so we believe that that's the way that God wants church to be. Now, um, and Jesus said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the way that people see me by these gatherings of people. Now, uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The first, the very first service that after Jesus rose from the dead, he, he told his disciples, I want you to take this message. And so, the Holy, God, he sent the Holy Spirit, some supernatural things happened. We talked about this two weeks ago. You can go and listen to it. We won't rehash all that. But at the end of all that, Peter got up and preached to this huge crowd that had gathered. And he began to share with them the fact that Jesus had died for them and he, he'd risen from the dead. And at the end of that message, the people's hearts, they were, they were like, wow, I, I never saw that God actually came down to us. He actually likes us where we are. We don't have to try to get to him. He came down to us. He came for us. And so they believed it. And in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, in the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, is it's sort of the history of the start of the local church. And they did some amazing, amazing things. But anyway, it starts here. Those who believe what Peter said, and that's actually all it took. They just believed what Peter said. They were baptized and added to the church that day about, what's that next number? 3,000 in all. Now I want to stop and talk about this just for a little bit because this is... This is something that, that happens a lot of times in churches. Uh, the, the, the longer you are a church, especially maybe in, in smaller areas, is people begin to say things like, you know, I really like a small church. I like our church the size it is. You know, we have two services, and sometimes we can't get it figured out. Sometimes, like today, the second service is smaller, and the first service is bigger. Sometimes the first service is smaller and the second is bigger. We can't figure out what happens if some of you go to the first service sometime or second service or whatever. But, you know, there's both, both services together. Oh, it's anywhere from 500 to 550 people in a week. And when you get to talking as the church gets bigger and bigger, 
some, especially Christians, especially Christians, and today I'm mainly talking to Christians. If you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, you sort of get a pass today, you sort of sit back and just listen. But, but uh, Christians, many times, they begin to say, you know, I, I like our church just the way it is. I sort of know everybody, sort of comfortable. You know, I don't like crowds. I don't want to be in a big church. But it's interesting that from the very beginning, the church exploded with 3,000 people. Just a, a few days later, they had another huge meeting and 5,000 more. And they weren't even counting the women and children. Huge, megachurch, boom. There it was. If, if we are going to be a church whose mission is to reach those that are far from God, there are way, way, way more people that aren't here than are here. And if we ever start to get the attitude that I like things the way they are, it's when you begin to change your attitude from the attitude that Jesus has for his church. Rick Warren said it this way, and I always like to say that it's Rick Warren so people don't get mad at me, but I agree with him. Rick Warren said it this way. He said, when you say that you like the church the size it is, that you like things just the way they are now, and you don't want a bunch more people coming, you're saying to the rest of the world, you can go to hell. Isn't that what you're saying? Church after church. I grew up in churches like that, where they were like, you know, I don't, I, I don't think a mega church, that's not, I don't think that's really the way God wants it. Really? Have you never read Acts chapter 2? 3,000, just, that's just the dudes. 3,000 guys, boom. That's 3,000 problems going somewhere to happen. That's all kinds of mess happening. That's all kinds of people that disagree with each other and maybe can't even stand to be around each other. And that's the whole point of church is that messiness, that interaction of being out of your comfort zone, of stretching beyond what you want for yourself, of thinking of someone else before you. So from the very beginning, God intended for his church to be a huge thing. And it says all the believers... He gives an example of this is what, this is what this, these new believers did. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Go ahead and put that up there. Uh, and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. These believers began to interact each, with each other. And all the believers met together in one place. So they had times where they were in one big place. Go ahead and put that next slide up. There you go. In one place and shared everything they had. Say those four words with me. Doesn't that make you nervous? It makes you nervous, especially when a preacher starts talking about that. Because you're pretty sure there's going to be an offering. But there's not. And here's the thing. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about this today. And get ready for the next few minutes. And you can handle it. Now, once again, I'm just talking to Jesus followers. I'm talking to people that... You've decided, I'm going to do this Christian thing. I'm going to be a person that wants to be more like Jesus, ever increasingly. I want to follow him. I want to do what he wants. I want to know the heart of God. And in fact, a lot of people, like, like I said, I grew up in church, and there were always people that were like, oh, I just want to know what God's heart is. I want to know what it is that God wants me to do. I need to spend some time praying. I need to seek God. I need to maybe spend some more time in my Bible. And I just, I just don't know what God wants me to do. I can tell you what he wants you to do. He wants you to be involved because this is what Jesus said he was going to do. We just read it. He said, I will build my church. Jesus, if you want to know the thing that's the closest to the heart of God, 
If you want to know the thing that turns him on more than anything else, if you want to know the way that he gets his kicks, is he builds and expands his kingdom through his local church. Get involved there, and you'll be involved with the heart of God. But here are these early believers. There was something that happened with them. They, that they all of a sudden, all these believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. There was this sudden spirit of generosity. Let's read these next few verses here. They worshiped together at the temple. Each day, they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. There you go. For the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy. And what's that next word? Generosity. All the while, we'll read the last part. All the while, praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, what I want to talk for the next few minutes is something, when we first started talking about uh, that we were going to start a church, this church, Stonebrook, the, the main thing that we talked about and the main thing that we have emphasized for these past three, three and a half years or so is that we want to be a church that reaches to those that don't like church. We're a church for people that don't like church. And frankly, over the years, uh, these past few years, hundreds of people Close to 500 people have made some type of decision, either for the first time or re, uh, renewing their relationship with Jesus over the, these last few, uh, few years here. Almost 500, I think it's over 500 now. But it's amazing that people who had given up on church, people who had been out of church for years and years, just talked with a, a couple a few weeks ago, been away from church for 14 years, decided to give it another, another try. We were just talking about this between service. And he, the, the husband was telling me, said, every week as we go home, my wife cries all the way home. And I'm thinking, dude, the sermon's not that bad. It'll be okay. And he's like, no. She, she just, she said, I, I was lied to my entire life. She had this idea that God was against her. And she, you know, God would, she could never be good enough to reach him. She's talking about how her, her life is revolutionized. We have so, so many of that testimony. We're so grateful for that. And we talk about that a lot, that we want to be a church for those who don't like church, those that are outside. But when I began to pray about starting this church, um, I believe God showed me that it would actually have a two-pronged purpose and that there was a second thing that he wanted us to do as a church and me specifically do as a pastor. And I'm going to do a little bit of that today. It's a really hard thing. It's a hard thing for us to swallow, but he, he wanted me to begin to t- deal with the things that we as American Christians are not understanding and, are, and have a, a wrong idea concerning how Jesus wants us to be. There are so many things that Jesus said. If you, read, if you ever read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as I, I begin to study it more and more, there are so many scriptures that churches simply skip over. We just don't talk about it. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't understand what Jesus is saying. We can't relate to the things that he did and the things that these earliest disciples did. Now, I'm going to ask you a question to sort of set, the, set this up. The earliest disciples, these that followed Jesus, their distinguishing characteristic is they revolutionized the world. There was, they were living in a Roman Empire which was oppressive, which was anti-anything to do with God, unless it was the pantheon of the gods, all these various idols that they served. And they, these Christians, they lived in the armpit of the Roman Empire. There was a Jewish carpenter that died and rose again, they said. And they began to share this message And the Roman Empire, who began to persecute them, at one point, Nero, the the Roman emperor, he would impale Christians on crosses 
all over the city of Rome, set them on fire to light the city. You think that we're persecuted in America because you can't say Merry Christmas? Give me a Pentecostal break. These people, they were persecuted. They, were, they filled stadiums full of people, and the people paid to come and celebrate as lions ripped them apart simply because they were Christians. Now, in just a couple hundred years' time, these carpenters and their followers, these fishermen, these regular guys from Galilee and Judea, without the right to vote, without the right to hold office, without any bill of rights, without anything at all, completely changed the Roman Empire till it became a Christian government. They overturned the government. They changed the entire world. Now, my question is, as Jesus followers, because that's our, that's our mission too. We have the same mission today to change our community, to change our world, to change the perception of the people around us. My question is, as we look back, how did they do it? If you had to point to one thing that they did that we don't do, because the, uh, here, here's just the truth. The American church over the past however many decades, we have been unsuccessful in winning the general populace over to the idea of who Jesus is. The church in general is losing. What did the first disciples do? What, was the, what is the one thing? Now, if my, I don't know if Caleb is still here. Is my son still here? Because we talk about this all the time. He's probably rolling his eyes as he knows where I'm going with this. But, okay, he's not here. So, what's the one thing that the disciples, one word, that they did to win people to Jesus? What? What does that mean? Love. Okay. Han says love. How about somebody else? And that's true. What? Gave. That's true. Preached. That's true. Da, 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 da. Anybody else? One word. You're not, you're not going to like it. Huh? Right there. They died. Aren't you happy now? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Are you nervous? We're not going to pass out Kool-Aid. Don't get worried. Don't get worried. Nobody's passing out Kool-Aid. The thing that the early church did to win over the hearts and minds of the people all around them is humbly, joyfully, worshipfully, joyously, they died. That's how they won. That's how they won, won the world. Now, you're a Jesus follower, and you say you want to win the world? Congratulations. I'm going to tell you how this morning. you got to die. Aren't you happy? Now, I said last time we were together, that when, right before Jesus left the earth, he said, now you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. And you're going to go into, you're going to start in Jerusalem, you're going to go into Judea and Samaria, and the whole world, and the King James Bible, and most translations say, and you're going to be my witnesses. That word in the Greek is martyr. Jesus said to the guys right before he left, guess what, I want you to take this message everywhere, and it's going to kill you. Goodbye now. Because that isn't that the essence of what, so you don't get nervous, some of you are wanting to leave. Lock the exits. But the, isn't that the essence of who Jesus was? And it's this, word, this is the way I describe uh, who Jesus is. Self-sacrificial love. 
It's, it's what Jesus modeled in his everyday life, but especially, especially at the end of his life, he climbed up on a cross surrounded by people who deserved death, surrounded by people that he could have, if he wanted to, killed them. But instead of killing his enemies, he said, oh, I'm going to die for them. Now, see, you're surrounded by people every day that don't deserve anything from you, aren't you? Don't you guys work? You work with some people. I see you on Facebook. I know what you post. I see the things that you talk about them. Just, just be honest in church. You're honest on Facebook. Come on. This is, you're among friends. How many of you have worked with some people that just need kicked upside the head? Come on. There you go. You work with people. You're like, who ties your tennis shoes for you? Are you driving a motor vehicle on the road to get here? How do you get here in the morning? How, I don't understand how you make it through life. And it's just like, oh my gosh. And you've, you do things and you do things and you do things. You have family members that you have given and given and given. And then they turn around and talk about you behind your back or whatever. And you, you eventually get to this place where you're like, I'm going to start treating people like they treat me. There's enough of this. And so, but Jesus, as a Jesus follower, and this is the thing. This is the thing that, oh, there's sometimes I'm re I read the Bible and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is what you got for me today. Let's go over here to some of these bless me scriptures. God has a plan for my life and the future. Let's read that again. But there are some scriptures where Jesus says certain things and does certain things. It's like, oh my goodness. But the essence of who the early church was is they lived out this idea of self-sacrificial love to the point of death. Now, we live in a, in a, in a country, and we're going to just read some scriptures here. We, we live in a place where it's not necessary at this time for you to die. I don't want to die. I don't, I don't want to have to give up my life. I like breathing in and out. I like eating. I like all those types of things. I don't want to have to die. But there is a certain attitude that Americans have, American Christians especially, to where this idea of sacrificing ourselves, now I'm not talking about physical death necessarily. If it comes to that, absolutely. But the thing that changed the hearts and minds of the people surrounding this earliest church is their humility, is their service, is their giving, is their willingness to put other people before their own lives. Now, Jesus said some things about this, and I just want to read through them. And, and, and listen, here's, here's, here's what I don't want to happen. Because like I said, I grew up in church, and sometimes when you talk about certain things in church, you always felt like, the pastor, the preacher, whoever, was trying to guilt you into something. You ever experienced that in church? And here's, I, I remember a preacher that used to say, you know Jesus went to the cross for you, and you can't go out and witness on Monday night, and you just felt, oh, I guess I gotta go out and go street witnessing on Monday night because Jesus went to the cross for me. And so you sort of felt guilty about it. It wasn't that you did because you loved him. But I just wanna read these things that Jesus said and, uh, and take them at face value, not, not skim over them. And see, is there something that we're missing? If we really want to be a church that reaches our community, a group, of, a group of Jesus followers eventually has to get to the place where what we want, for our own lives even, isn't the priority. That's the thing that Jesus modeled. He said th this way, he said, No one can serve two masters. For you hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and and money. It's weird that Jesus didn't say you can't serve both God and the devil. He said you can't serve both God and money. Now, it's not that Jesus thinks we shouldn't have money or we shouldn't have jobs or anything like that. But what he's saying is 
one can't be your priority over the other. And we as Americans many times put the American dream and the American way of life over the dream of Jesus in, uh, in people coming to know who he is. Jesus is talking about priorities here. He says, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food? Put that slide up there next. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more, far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why are you worrying about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work, they don't make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Jesus is talking about there's these everyday things of life that you guys are more concerned about than what God wants your life to be, what God wants you to be doing. He says, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? He says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. And I, as I was reading that last night, I thought, it actually sounds like these things dominate the thoughts of American Christians. Americans are so much so concerned with the American dream and their life and their house and where we vacation and what, what kind of car we drive and uh, getting a better, better job here and the things that are of this everyday life. And you've got to have those. You've got to do those. You've got to take kids to soccer practice. You've got to do all those things. You have to eat and live indoors. God understands that. But somehow, along the way, we've gotten the idea that those things are more important than what God wants as far as reaching people with the message of who he is. But your heavenly Father already knows all these things. Now then Jesus says this. In verse 33, he says, Seek the kingdom of God. What's those next three words? Above all else. Now these are scriptures that we sometimes we read and we even, we even sing some, sometimes. There was a song when I grew up. It was a really boring song. It went, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Do you guys know this song? And his right. It, looked, it took like three hours to get through the verse. And all these things will be added unto you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know why anybody would ever go to church, actually. But anyway, it was like, so when I read this verse, I hear that song singing in the background. I'm like, oh, this is that boring verse that we sung. But what Jesus is saying is, what I want you to do. Yeah, you got to eat. Yeah, you got to have clothes. Yeah, you got to have a place to live. But you are spending all your time thinking about those things. And actually, the reason you were put on the earth is for other people. The reason you were put on the earth is because other people don't have a real good idea of who God is. And their life is not going to be as good because they don't have a relationship with God. And their eternity, their eternity won't be as good without that relationship with God. So before you think of those other things, yeah, you've got to do those other things. But before you think the energy the thought energy that you put into those other things doesn't need, needs not compare to, uh, one translation here says, expanding the kingdom of God. Seek to expand his kingdom above everything else. And then Jesus goes as far to say, if you'll partner with God there, if you'll do that first, God will make sure you have all those other things. God's priority is having his kingdom. His kingdom isn't Republican, it's not Democrat, it's not Libertarian, it's not American. His kingdom is a third way 
it's, it's something that's subversive, it's something that's revolutionary, it's something that infiltrates, the society, it infiltrates society without being legislated, without being dictated. It changes the hearts of men and women from the inside out of a nation. And that's what Jesus wants to happen. But he says, you have to make that your priority. And the trouble too many times, once again, I'm just talking to Jesus followers, is that so many Jesus followers are so concerned with their own life and expanding God's kingdom is down the list somewhere, sure, but it's not something that they think about on a day-to-day basis. It's not something as you drive down the road, it drives my family nuts. When I drive down the road, I'll say to my wife, I want, how, how do I get that guy that we just passed to know God? Does he know God? Where's he spending eternity? I walk around Walmart. You ever, you ever go to Walmart? Nobody goes to Walmart in this town. There's so much else that you could do here. People, there's hardly anybody ever at Walmart. I go on Friday, like right after payday, there's nobody there. But anyway, you go in and you're surrounded by all these people that are, you're, you're buying stuff you gotta do. You gotta have strawberries. You gotta have blueberries. They finally now have them back fresh. God is good again. Life is, life is wonderful. They have the fresh blueberries. But you're in there and you're buying all these things. I have a hard time going in there. And, and I'm just, I, I'm nowhere near, I'm, I'm not giving myself an example of who I should be, but I'm just sort of showing you what it means to seek it above all else. Yeah, you got to do those things. But as I'm walking around, it drives me nuts because I'm thinking, where in the world are all these people spending eternity? Where are these people going to church? Why do they know, does that guy know who Jesus is? Look, he has a brand new shirt. Look, he has, he just bought some oil. He's going to change his oil this weekend. Is he going to ever think about Jesus? And that attitude of seeking that before anything else. It's something that we as Jesus followers don't feel guilty about it. Don't go home and say, oh, I guess we got to start thinking about the people in Walmart instead of kicking them out of the way because they're too slow to get to the line. No, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. But it's just a little, little change that happens in your brain to where, oh, my reason for being here isn't just to go to work, buy something, buy some chips and dip, and go home and Netflix and chill, whatever that means to you, okay? No, for some, I, I won't even go there. That's why, I think that's why we have so many babies. Next, Netflix and chill. Well, let's don't go there. It's just, it's just a bad thing. But God, that's, that's, that's a great thing to do there. I'm all for Netflixing and chilling, and I'm 50, and I don't even know what that means, actually. And if my children were here, they're now bright red. But anyway, I don't, know how they, I don't know how they think they got here in the first place. But that's another story. But God put us on earth for more than just eating, going to work, working for the weekend, and we're going to go out to eat on Friday, and we're going to wash the car on Saturday, and we're going to play golf, and I'm going to retire someday, and I get to play golf full-time and fish. That's not why you're put on the earth. If you're a Jesus follower, your number one priority is expanding his kingdom. So um, I'm going to stop it right there, and we'll talk a little bit more about it next week. I want to answer a question. This is sort of an abrupt stop. But there was a question somebody sent in. And uh, I don't want to wait till next week because I want to talk about something else next week. And, um, oh, I don't know. I think I have five, seven, eight minutes, something left. I don't know. And here's the question. And this was a question about church. And I think their heart, uh, their heart was absolutely right and, so I, and sincere. So I want to ask, answer this question. They said, you know, we've been coming to Stonebrook a few weeks. And you may be here. I'm not going to use your name or anything. I really appreciate the question they sent it in. Um, but it has to do with Jesus Church. And the question was two things. They said, you guys, when you're, when you're there at church, you, uh, you say during worship that, you know, you can stand or sit, sit or, you know, just hang out and watch. You can participate as little or much as you want to. 
But they, they were saying, you know, should church be a place where we, you know, I guess we reverence God by standing or whatever, and we all worship or whatever, not just be a spectator. And so they were like, what, what, what's with that? And then secondly, the question was, why do you play secular music? And this is a question we get every now and then, and because there, there are new, new people all the time, I like to stop and explain what it is that we're trying to do. Because when you come in in the morning, you may hear Nirvana, you may hear Van Halen, you may hear, I don't know if we play Rihanna or not, I don't know if there's anything, it may have a bleep every other word, I don't know what's going on with that, but why do you play secular music? And every now and then I get this question. And so I, I want to just um, reiterate some reasons why we do certain things like that. First of all, um, let, me, let me try to explain it this way. First of all, there's no, in the New Testament, as far as how we worship and what worship looks like, there is no prescription about what worship should look like in a church service. It's not there. In fact, when the, when the Bible talks about worship, most of the time, it's not talking about standing, sitting, or singing, or anything like that. We, once again, as American Christians, we think, oh, we're going to worship. Immediately, if I said, if I said to you, what we're going to do on Tuesday night, we're going to get together and worship. What do you guys think we're going to do? There's going to be a band. There's going to be fog. There's going to be a big ballad at the end. We're going to raise our hands and we're going to worship, right? Well, there's not hardly any of that in the Bible, but there are lots of times where an act of worship and service to God is how we treat each other, is how we live Monday through Saturday, is how we, in fact, Romans chapter 12 says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, what my body wants to do and how my body wants to slap my coworker upside the head and all these things, that if I will submit that to God as a living sacrifice, Romans 12:1 says that that is an act of worship. So, you know, I could say we're going to get together and worship. What you ought to think is, oh, we're going to get together and we're going to not beat up our coworkers. We're going to be nice to each other. We're going to talk with people that we don't necessarily like. And because I see the image of God in them, and because Jesus sacrificed what he wanted for other people, that's my worship to him. So we're going to get together and talk to people that we don't like. But see, it just sounds strange to us. But anyway, I got a little bit off on that. But if you're talking about is there a certain style of worship, not necessarily that the New Testament prescribes. And so both of these sort of tie together. As a church, we, we decided when we started the church that there were plenty of churches already, plenty of churches, that had a traditional form of doing certain things. And so we decided that we wanted to be a church that anybody could just come and hang out and they could, little by little, for, let me just take a poll. Those of you that get in a swimming pool, let's say summer is here. Let's say that a lot. Summer's here. Please, come. Summer's here, and we're going to get in the pool. How many of you are jumping the deep end kind of people? Okay, how many of you are ease in the steps kind of people? Okay. Which one's right? Now, I think it's right to just jump in the deep end. Just get in there. Get it over with. But there are people like, no, I'll be down here. And they're like, whoo. Okay. So why does it matter? Then they're like, oh, okay. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so that is exactly how we see approaching Jesus. 
we believe that churches have only had one method. Come and jump in the deep end. Oh, you don't jump in the deep end, you sinner, you go somewhere else. Now, we don't actually say that, but we want to be a place where you can come and you can just, I'm just going to sit here on a towel by the pool. I don't even think I like water. Okay, just come and sit by our pool. The rest of us are going to get in. We're going to jump in and we're going to splash around a little bit, but we're not going to think that you are any less because you're sitting by the pool. We just think you're a pool sitting by the, kind of, sitting by the pool kind of person. If you'd like, every now and then, we're going to ask you, would you like me splash a little water on you? You may go, oh, I don't like that. Okay, just hang out, little by little. That's the kind of place we wanted to be. Now, let me explain this. I wish I had more time for this. Oh, just give me two more minutes. Three, two, three, half an hour. No. <laughs> Jesus told the disciples, and then maybe we'll talk about this next week. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. Jesus told the disciples, Peter and James and John, those guys, they were fishermen. And he did this miracle thing with the fish, and he said, come on, follow me. From now on, I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. Okay? Fish for men. As a Jesus church, I wanted us to be people that every Sunday, every Sunday what we're doing is we're fishing. Now, how many of you are fish, fishermen, women, people? things. Okay. What is a necessity to go fishing? Bait. What is another necessity? <laughs> these, are, these are basic concepts we're talking about, people. You got to have fish and you got to have bait. Now, the best fishermen think like a fish. I know a guy that used to work for me. He was just amazing. He thought like a fish. He was a human, but he thought like a fish. And so he knew what the fish liked, so he got the correct bait. And there's different fish. At different times, you may throw like a live bait out there. I'm not a great fisherman. I could compare this to horse training, but we'll do that next week. But you throw some bait out there, and you just sit, and you wait. And you're like, what are you doing? I'm fishing. It looks to me like you're just sitting there. No, I'm fishing. And here's something fishermen, my dad always did this, because I'm just a kid, I, I didn't like to fish. And so I'm sitting there, I'm making noise, dad would always say this, shh, what's the next few words? You'll scare the fish. Why are the fish scared? One of the concepts of fishing, and see if you're here for the first time, I'm giving you our secrets. One of the concepts of fishing is, don't do stuff to scare the fish, and to me that translates, don't let the fish know that you're there and that you want them. And you're trying to put something out there that they would like. You don't put a strip of bacon, I don't guess you do, you don't put bacon on the end of your hook. Will fish eat bacon? Maybe they will. Who wouldn't eat bacon? You don't put broccoli on the end of your hook. You put something on the hook there that the fish would like. So the fish get comfortable. You may, like you may do that thing where you throw it out and you reel it back in, and it's like a, a, a lure. You're luring them. You want them to come closer. You want them to relax and think, that's not a hook, that is a minnow. Right? You're fishing. The reason we play secular music is so people, when, when people come in, they're immediately met with something they're familiar with. They come into a place and they're, they're scared. 
Fish are scared to come to church. <laughs> they're afraid they're going to get hooked and they're going to, somebody's going to shave their head, send them to the airport, or they're going to suddenly have to give all their money away. They're going to have to start dressing weird. They're going to have to start talking weird. They're going to have to start acting like all the Christians that are around them at work, and it freaks them out. So we want to do something immediately that says, you guys might just be normal. You might just be regular people like me. This might be a place where I can relax a little bit. And little by little, I simply want them, and it's even better than fishing. When you're fishing, I mean, you want to eat them. I don't want to eat them. <laughs> I just want them, I want to introduce them to this person named Jesus. I want them to get comfortable. We say it this way, that we're setting up a date with God. Guys, if you're trying to lure this lady into some lifelong relationship with you, please, on the first date, don't meet her down on one knee with a ring. She's not going to be there. But that's what every church does. They meet you with a proposal for marriage. And when all we want to do is set up a date, we want to make the mood right. We want to make the music right. We want to do something that the person we're trying to court might actually like. That's why, that's why we do it. We'll maybe talk more about it next week. My time is gone. You guys can tell God that you suffered for an extra three minutes this week. Okay, let me pray for you, though. And before you leave, if you have any prayer need at all, you may come here and say, yeah, this is great, but I'd really like to talk to somebody. I'm going through a tough time, or I'd like somebody to pray with me. Over here to my left is Courtney and Eric. They are both amazing, amazing people, and they, uh, they will pray with you concerning whatever your need is and help you out there. So I'm going to pray for us in general, and you can go see them after the service if you'd like. Father... I thank you so much for, for your word. I thank you so much for Jesus. And Lord, we are a flawed church. We're a flawed group of people, but we want to be more like you. And whatever it takes, whatever we have to change, I thank you that you don't require us to just immediately change everything about ourselves, but little by little, you yourself, you draw us in with your love, with your mercy, with your, with your grace, with, with just the fact that, that you give us and you give and you give and you give more than we deserve. We thank you so much for it. We love you. I just ask you as this week goes by that you show these people uh, someplace during this week just how much you think that they're amazing. And I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for hanging out, and we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.